Okay, so just quick review, right? He marries this woman who presumably is a Pelishti, although it doesn't say so explicitly, but it sounds like she is a non-Jew of sorts. And the Sarni Pelishtim, she is bribed by the Sarni Pelishtim. They try to get her to figure and to share with her, share, share with them uh, what it is that causes Shimshon to be weak. And she asks Shimshon time and time again. Shimshon keeps on making up different stories. And it's a fake. All right. Each time it's a fake. Um, and we left off after three different times where it happened. We did point out, we'll come back to this, that although each time it didn't really work, but we saw some interesting progression. There was a progression the first time the strings were as if they weren't. Like there was like, he didn't even have to use any strength. The, str- the strings basically just burnt away as if they, were, they weren't even there. The second time he broke them, right? Which implies like there was a little bit of strength. The third time the peg, like there are things which stayed in his hair. Um, he didn't, wasn't able to completely throw them off. So it almost sounds like there is this diminishment, diminishing um, strength that's taking place over here. Um, even before all of his strength is completely weak. And we'll come back to that as we see this last uh, back and forth. So, Vatomer Elav. So, Pasuk Tesvav, she says to him, Eich Tomar Ahavtich, how could you say that you love me? And we know, by the way, he does love her, right? Because out of all the women that he has been with, this is the one that we are told explicitly that he loves her. Your heart is not with me. These three times you mocked me. You haven't told me. What is your with what is your great strength? Okay, and as he continued as she continued to oppress him with her words, call all the time. Right, so this this conversation was not just a one time conversation. She would consistently harass him. Vataltsehu, vataltsehu is uh, the commentators point out a very unique term, but it implies some deep level of, of anguish. She really oppressed him. Uh, Chazal actually say an uh, interesting thing. They suggest that she would physically make his life miserable. During intimacy, Chazal say that right at the end of intercourse, she would remove herself as a way of almost completely just throwing him off. And so the Gemara, the Pasuk says that he, his soul was shortened to the point of death. He felt like he was ready to die. It was too much. It was overwhelming. She would harass him and harass him, both emotionally, physically. It was just too much. Okay? So eventually he crumbles. He tells her everything in his heart. And he tells her, Mora lo'ola al-roshi. A shaver, a, a razor never went, or scissors never went on my hair. Ki nazir elokim ani mi betan imi. I am a nazir of God from my mother's womb. Okay, that part is interesting that he has to say that because that part is presumably self-evident. He has that hair, okay? Im gulachti, if I am shaven, v'sarmi meni chochi, my strength will be removed. V'chalisi v'ayisi k'chal adam, I will be, literally I'll be sick, but essentially my strength will be diminished and I'll be like every other person. Now we pointed out before, we don't, he doesn't necessarily know this as a fact fact, right? The, the Malach never said, when you cut your hair, then it will be gone. He doesn't say when someone else cuts your hair, it will be gone. But presumably he intuits that there is something, you know, that, that his strength and his naziris go hand in hand and therefore the, this will be the impact. But it's not a thousand percent clear. Like we don't know for sure that that's what's going to happen. You could have said like, just give me a cup of wine and the same thing will happen. They'll break his Aziris, I don't know. I right. Why it's like, you know he's a Nazir, like, figure it out. It's right, like, right, right, right. He's like, what's going on? No one can figure it out. Like, they, he, that's the one difference between the guy and the rest of the world is his Naziris. Maybe that has something to do with his strength. That's fair. That's fair. Right? Meaning, their assumption. Meaning, like, let's let's take a step back from from our perspective, a religious perspective. Um, the whole back and forth is funny. Because, I mean, we know the end of the story. But assuming we didn't know the end of the story, we'd say like, no. If she would cut his hair, that wouldn't do anything. She cuts his hair. Like, 
maybe if he goes ahead and gets hammered and cuts his hair, then that would be one thing. But for him, for her to cut his like, the hair is just, again, and we kind of touched about this last week, that's very, like, superstitious. You know, you can't, it's not about the hair. Um, right? You didn't so, in a zero, so someone cut your hair, then you're still in a zero? Like, you didn't break your own? Well, possibly. It depends on the, you know, you cannot cut your hair, but if you let someone cut your hair, then it might well, be a problem. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see about his sleeping in a moment. Why would he stay with her? Like, he's constantly tormenting. She... And she kept asking, like, what, what can make you, what, what can kill you? Like, what can kill you? Like, right. I don't know, my wife's like, what can kill you? I'm like, um. <laughs> <laughs> you're, on the, you're on the record, I but yeah. <laughs> like, right. To the point, like, like right. why do you, like, let him do, like, why, why do you make himself be tortured? Right. It's a good good question. Um, and I think from from on one on on the one hand, uh, that's certainly true. That's certainly the case. That um, two things. First of all, in, in terms of him actually, in terms of her saying what will kill you, we we spoke about this a little bit last week. Yes, she is she is harassing about it, but it's also uh, there's a secret you have, right? <laughs> Try this one. If you tell your wife I have a secret, I'll never tell you. No time to answer this, right? What's that gonna do? It's not. It's not a very good for a relationship see, to like, say that there's. No, there's no like. He has no secret. Well, he seemingly does. Meaning she's asking, and he implies, and throughout this give and take, it sounds like he does know the answer. Meaning I'm asking a question, but it sounds like he really does know this. And there's a secret, and she's saying we have this relationship, and something very fundamental to you, you're not sharing with me. So I could understand. Yes. But every time she gives him the secret, the secret, she does it to him. So, I mean, to test him out, see if it'll work, right? right so, uh, so, if I were him, yeah, I mean, protect, right, 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 right. right. I mean, it's I like think, the usual secret, right? right. right. Like, like, oh, like, oh, if you give me like pepper, I will die. Like, I'm sure I'm not gonna tell it to my wife. I will not tell her. I'm saying, like, I won't tell her something like that she would do something to me <laughs> that would kill me. Like, I will hide that as a secret, right? Right, okay, okay. So, so let, let's come back. Good, let's come back to that point. I want to let's read a few more psukim, and, 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 I, and I, agree, I agree with what you're saying. Let, let's see a few more psukim. So, I have a Tara Delila. Okay, so Delila sees, Delilah, Delila sees Kigi, Laas Kalibo that he said everything in his heart. It's interesting, like, how does she know that, right? To Chazal say, Nikarim Divri Emes, that when someone says the truth, you recognize the truth, right? Truth resonates. You know, you can tell when someone's being honest. So she, she knows him. Yeah, they have a good relationship, right? So she knows, uh, for all the insanity aside, and, and her, the fact that she's about to sell him out to, to the Pelishtim, they love each other on some complicated level, right? So Are we supposed to believe that? We have no... Well, he but certainly loves, loves her. Yes. He, he certainly loves... Right, so we don't... Right. I, I don't know, right? We don't know if she... You know, people are complex like that. We don't know that she hates him, and we did see how the Pelishtim have to temper their words. They're not saying we're going to pay you and we're going to kill him. Um, if she was just cold-hearted entirely, then that would be the case. So we're kind of left guessing. We don't really know. We don't really know the extent of it. Obviously, what she's doing is terrible. Right. So remember, the, the Sarni Pelishtim have given up on her. Now she calls them back and says, no, please come. Kigilias Kalibo. He told me everything in his heart. They bring the money in. So was he not supporting her? Is that the issue? Like, was money was the issue? Doesn't, doesn't sound like, like it. If you were to give her like 50 golden coins, like, fifty thousand gold coins, Let's 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 read these next few words because this uh, just imagine the imagery for a second, okay? And again, I don't remember what happens in the movie how they depict this. Vatiyashnehu albirkeha, she puts him to sleep on his on her lap, right? 
What, 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 what image is that? Like, who goes to sleep on someone's lap? A baby. A baby, right? And, and let's, let's pause here for a second, right? Let's pause here for a second just to remember, like, what we've seen about Shimshon until this point. And specifically, we spoke about this last week, right? There was a suggest- we suggested that there is some, that Shimshon, right? Shimshon is the show face, right? Until this point, he was able to enter into the Palishtim camp, pretend he was, a, you know, doing this on his own. But now he's the show face. He's the judge of the people. The only, there is no, it's very hard to excuse, almost impossible to excuse any relationship that he has with anyone out of the faith at this point. And possibly one of the things that's happening over here is that there's this deep sense of loneliness, right? He does not fitting in what he is now because of because of his loneliness he ends up being pushed to do both deviant and dangerous things engaging with the the zona that we saw as well as this woman right marrying a foreigner and he certainly had to your point he certainly had some suspicions right and you're arguing that it's more than suspicions she's going ahead with it and basically removing the removing his trying to remove his power right but he seems to ultimately be throwing in the towel it's almost as if you see the person crumbling, like the image you have of Shimshon is a person essentially crumbling, right? He's basically, right, remember that we spoke about from uh, Rabbi Francis, the idea that he brings the, 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 gates. the gates, thank you, to, to in front of Yehuda. He's saying, I'm done. He's basically checked out, but it's not just the, the, the leadership sense, but he just seems to be checking out across the board. He seems to be, again, it's that, that sense of, I, I've tried, I've done my thing, I'm basically walking away. There's a sense of not really fitting in and therefore connecting to this woman who also is this, uh, you know, wanderer of sorts, doesn't really have a location like him. And he's basically slipping. He's, yeah, whatever, ultimately telling her all the secrets. And ultimately the last image we have of him, or one of the last images we have of him, is him basically crumbling to sleep in his wife's legs, right? So the imagery is one of him falling apart, slipping and sleeping, it all away. There's a, there's, there is a difference between just checking out mm-hmm. and then checking out so someone can hook you. Yeah, this is extreme. This is extreme. It's like it's checking out like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go to to Siberia. This is this is an ex- this is an extreme. This is an extreme fall. It would seem to be an extreme falling apart of sorts. Absolutely, absolutely. We so, were learning that so from one okay. mm-hmm. because of, um, and it said there that that Aileen had already taken over the as a Shafate. Interesting. Because people were not coming to him for judgments or for anything. Interesting. So he was already he already knew it was over. Interesting. Interesting. Was, Interesting. Okay, which just adds to the adds right. to the sense of despondency. Like I am I am you know, it's not just I walked away, they walked away from me. And the other thing I was wondering last time, did it you know, when it says he judged them for twenty years, that's usually at the end. Mm-hmm. Like here, there's still more. So is he, as you've been saying, is he, is he actually done? It goes along with what you said. So let's see, it's going to be revisited. We'll come back to it. It's actually, it's go- we're going to be reminded about his judgment. But you're absolutely right. Typically, that statement is at the end, and it almost seems like at the end of a chapter of his judgment. And then when it gets repeated, we'll have to come back to it. But I think that's an excellent point, right? Um, typically, the, the judgment is the culmination of his judgment, of being a judge. And it sounds like, and I, I very much appreciate that, it sounds like this is the end of his dominion, you know, judge. Ship, and now this is a new period in his life. I think that's a very fair, uh, very fair read. Read. Okay, but Ish. So she goes and calls the man. Right? She's more confident. She doesn't do it herself. Right? Look how confident she is um, in him, basically being lulled to sleep. Right? Rosho, and the seven um, locks of his hair, the seven uh, parts of his hair, are shaved off. 
Vatachela Anoso Vayasar Kochal Me'alav. Right? So. That's a little weak. I mean, it's a, it's a thick piece of hair. Yeah, again, I, I, and I know you don't love this, but it's, it's once again, just further, it's, it's basically this person who's like, he just told his wife all these things, and he knows exactly what she does every single time, and here he is allowing himself to be lulled into the deepest of sleeps and allowing that to happen. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely seven right. locks, if you already said this so much, I apologize. Is that a thing? I, I, you know, I have no idea. None of the, I cannot find any commentators that speak to that. We saw that already in the, in the last piece where, where she uh, attaches them to the, to the loom, uh, but I have no idea what the significance of his, of his seven locks are. I, I don't know. Okay. So, so going back to this question of, right, so clearly he was right. You shave the hair, and voila, magically, it goes away. Now, the commentators, as you can imagine, are troubled by that because that's a little bit too magical for a Jewish worldview. That's not the way we look at the world. And, and the commentators do argue that what's happening over here is, um, is that it's not so much about the hair, it's the fact that there's this violation of Hashem's commandments, right? It's not, it could have just as easily been him saying, if you pour a cup of wine for me and I drink it, it would be the same thing. It's not that he has magical hair, and in theory it could have been if you give me some pork, it would be the same thing. The point is that what we're witnessing over here is this violation of Hashem's commandments about this allowing her, he knows presumably on some level, whether he's thinking about it or not, that she's going to do this to him, and so she knows that, uh, he knows that, excuse me, um, and that he's allowing her to do this. Um, all of that is a violation of Hashem's commandments, and therefore it's not the hair per se, it's symbolic, but it's not the hair per se, it's more the fact that he has been allowing her to do this to him, which is in violation of Hashem's commandments. And honestly, the marriage itself is, um, okay, the marriage itself is really all, all just representative of that, the violation of Hashem's commandments, okay. Um, Fine, let's go a little further. Vatomer Pelishtim Alecha Shimshom Shifatomer, and she says, Pelishtim Alecha Shimshom, the Pelishtim are upon you, Vayikatz Mishnah, so he wakes up from his sleep, Vayomer Eitze Kefam Befam Vinaer, I will go out like the uh, like every time and 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 be aroused, be awakened, Vula Yadak Yashem Sarmi Alav, he did not recognize that Hashem has removed himself from him. Okay, the Pelishtim come along, what do they immediately do? They knock out, they, they gouge his eyes, which we'll come back to in a moment. They redo an Oso Azasa. It's a very interesting punishment. It's not so interesting, right? We've spoken about this in the context of slaves, right? Um, without rehashing it all right now, we know the halacha is that uh, if you, you knock out the eye of a slave, then you go, the slave goes free, like a, like a Kanani slave goes free. And we, saw, we spoke about this in the past, that, that in, in the ancient world, that's actually what they did to slaves. That what, one of the ways of demonstrating your dominion over the slave was by gouging their eyes. So it was a way of demonstrating your ownership over the slaves, right? So the Torah basically flips that on its head. If you take out their eye, then they no longer belong to you. So over here, although it's very gruesome, and we don't normally hear such writing, and Chazal put a lot of emphasis on his eyes being cut, not knocked out, but from a purely uh, historical perspective, it would make a lot of sense. That's what you typically do to a slave, and he's a captive slave at this point, and therefore it would make sense for them to do so. Okay? so uh, Azasa, they bring him to Aza, they, they attach him to, to chains, and he was uh, pushing the, 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 the mill in the, in the jail. Okay. Um, now, as the Radak points out, this was normal. You know, he has to point this out. It's interesting. I guess you have to wonder what took place in jails back in the day. The Radak says, in case you're wondering why he's doing this, it's because of the fact that um, they would employ, not give them money, but they would put their slaves to work, which in some society, you know, you have to say, in some places they do that. I guess in other places, in other places, the jail was just jail. They throw them there, maybe feed them, maybe not, and leave them. 
Sorry? Right, but, but there are other places where they have some basic jobs, and this was the normal thing. They would give them jobs, and he actually points to, where do we see this? That they would be, the, that they would be grinding things in jail? Good trivia. Uh, connected to that, but in Makas Bechoros, there are two psukim, which uh, one is when God is speaking, one is Mo- when Moshe is speaking about what's going to happen, the, the, how both from the, those sitting on the throne all the way to the lowest rung of society. And it says two different things. One is those, in the pit, those jailed, that's when God says it, I believe. And when Moshe says it, he says it's the one who is behind the mill, right? So presumably they're one and the same. The people in jail were the people running the mill. I'm not sure which one was God. Or yeah, but it's basically, it's, it's interchangeable, fine. Chazal, though, do see, like, they, they wonder why this has to be mentioned. They say something which the Radak says, uh, is very far-fetched, but I'll share with you what they say. Um, he suggest, that Chazal suggests that people would, because of Shimshon's great strength, they would bring their wives to Shimshon, and Tochen over here to, to be grinding is actually a euphemism, that basically they would bring their wives to him so that he would impregnate them so that they would have strong sons like Shimshon. Um, the Radak says, aside from the lack of textual proof, he says he lost his strength. It's a pretty bad time to do so, right? What's, what's going on? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Okay, fine. But that's, that's how um, Chazal see it. Now, obviously, let, let's try to think this from the perspective of Chazal. Forget the historic perspective. Why would his eyes be knocked out? Because he used his eyes. He went after his eyes, right? He went astray after his eyes. Um, and therefore, uh, he goes after these polishim and, you know, these, these women that he shouldn't have done so. And that's the idea behind the eyes. Now, I will mention there's a very, there's a much deeper way of understanding. This is something where Tzadok um, suggests, and that is that it wasn't that he went astray after his eyes. Eyes is also a term that we use for perception or thinking, right? And what was Shimshon, as we, we've saw and told us from the beginning, Shimshon, at least in the beginning successfully, later on less so, but was engaging with Pelishtim, women, in order to save the Jewish people, right? He basically is trekking his own head, doing something very radical, but he's doing so with a lofty, with a lofty reason. And Rav Tzadik adds a little bit, and this may or may not sit well with you, but he says Shimshon was a gibor. Gibor, he argues, is, cannot just be the external strength, but it has to be, he argues, must be internal strength as well. And therefore he says Shimshon understood that he could engage in all these things and will not go further astray. He will be able to straddle the line, do exactly what he has to do and do it perfectly, and nothing will happen to him. And the sin wasn't that he went after his eyes in the sense that he saw beautiful women and was seduced by that. But the sin of his eyes was the fact that he misperceived things. He had too much faith in his own judgment, and it was his misunderstanding and misperception that was the sin of the eyes. And that's the deeper meaning of what Chazal says. It's, it's worth pointing out that in a different place, in Tzikas Tzadik, Rav Tzadik you know, talks about, he's a very creative Hasidic thinker, um, and he, he has a piece where he talks about the, the fact that there are times when it is appropriate for a person to track their own path to do something which no one has ever done before, and if they firmly believe this is their, their pro- appropriate approach in Avodos Hashem. He says one caveat. He says it's very dangerous when we do so, because although we may, we, we may very well be right, and it's the right thing to do, but there's also an incredible amount of biases, because it's something that appeals to us. So there's something, dry, dry, dr- something drawing in this action. It may be the godly element, but also might be something personal. He says the only way to get around that is to have others that we could check into, to have at least some outside person, people, who could give us insight and give us perspective. So in that light, Rav Tzadik is saying over here is that what Shimshon did wrong wasn't, maybe his path was right, or maybe he did it with the right intentions. It wasn't that he was in a very lowly way going after his eyes of simply looking where we shouldn't be looking, but rather it was the sense that he seduced himself, the fact that he misperceived, and that was he did not check in with anyone else again. Why? Because what do you know about Shimshon? 
he didn't have anyone else, nor would he connect to anyone else. He was very much his own person, right? This very much fits within our scheme or our understanding of Shimshon, right? He thinks he can see things without others, but like you said, he doesn't have, he's a lonely man. He doesn't have others that he could turn to to help guide him, okay? Vayachel sa'arosha, interesting last pasuk over here. Vayachel sa'arosha litzameach kasher gulach, and almost immediately, or immediately, after his hair gets shaven, gets shaven, shaven, uh, then his hair starts to grow back, okay? I was just uh, speaking to my barber today, was, yeah, um, and, and he was telling me how, you know, there was, he said it's, it's a myth, uh, this idea, you know, little kids when they, uh, you know, they, they start, they want to shave and they think they're going to grow their beard back faster. He said it looks like that because it, does, it actually doesn't affect anything inside, uh, but just ma- makes, splits the hairs a little bit on the outside, so it looks like there's more hair over there, but, and so I mean, there's more darkness, but it's not actually causing the hair to grow faster. So the fact that he cut his hair would not be a reason for it to grow back right away. There has to be something miraculous, right? Talk about uh, good timing. And there we go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it would seem to be symbolic of something. And again, not to put too much weight on the hair, but seeing the hair as symbolic, right? Um, there would perhaps be symbolic of the fact that Shimshon is kind of moving back to where he's supposed to be, right? He has gone to like the lowest point possible. Your Siberia example, yes. He basically has lull- allowed himself to be lulled to sleep, thrown it all away, but as he crashes, there's a certain awakening over here, and the hair, quote-unquote, starts to grow back. There's a sense of chuba, there's a sense of change, which we'll be seeing in this next passage. So let's see what this passage says. And they gather to bring offerings to Dagon, their god, um, okay, Dagon, according to someone's in the shape, sorry? Merman. Merman, right? Shape of a fish and different explanations, right? But this was the god of the Polishtim. He make, uh, Dagon, Dagon makes an appearance at a later point. Right, so clearly this was a song, right? There's a, there's, it rhymes, right? There's this idea that, right, Shimshon was given to us by the God. This was the song they were singing. The nation saw, the people saw. And they praised their God, because they said, Right, so clearly this is like some chant of some sorts, that they're all gathered together being, uh, you know, this is exciting. This is what they're doing. Okay. Vayiketov libam, and at the height of their joy, vayomru, and they said, Kir l'shimshon v'sachik lanu, call shimshon, and let him um, sport for us, right? And obviously, interesting parallel over here. Um, who else? Tov libam, and they call somebody, right? Tov lev hamelech v'yayin, when, when, excuse me, Achashverosh is ketov lev, uh, then they want to call Vashti, also to a form of entertainment. Okay, they call Shim, sorry, I don't know any significance, I'm just pointing out the observation. Uh, they call Shimshon from the jail. They place him between the pillars. So obviously, he has someone guiding him, and he turns this person and says, Leave me. Allow me to feel and touch the pillars. Which the building is resting upon. Okay, kind of a bit of a giveaway, but there's a lot of giveaways that were ignored in this story. Okay? I didn't know that if he was blind, but all right. Okay, well, okay. Presumably the pillars, pillars, I imagine things were not so aesthetic back in the day. If you had yeah. pillars in a building, they're, they're probably there for a reason. Uh, I know it falls off. Uh, sorry? And he may have been there before. That's true too. Veshain Alehem, and the word Lishon in this context means to rest. As opposed, what's another term we use to when, when, we, do, when we rest? When we place our weight on something? 
We do this to our an- animals when you bring a sacrifice. Shkita? Before no. smicha. Before, no. I said it, sorry. No. Before shkita, you do smicha, right? So there's two words over here. One is lisha'en, which means stress. The other was smicha. Lisha'en, the, 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 the linguists point out, lisha'en is just resting. Smicha, to fulfill smicha properly, actually put all your weight. You really have to push all your weight on it. So he does not say, I'm going to do that. He says, I'm just going to rest on it. Let's see, right? You'll see the terminology um, as it continues. The house is filled with men and women and all the Polishti officers. Three thousand people, obviously some pretty significant structure, certainly for back in the day. Shimshon calls out to God and he says, and we haven't heard him speak to God in a while. Hashem Elokim Zachrenina, remember me, Vichaskenina, and strengthen me, Achapam Hazeh Elokim. This one time, Hashem, Vinakma Nikam Achas Mishte Enai Mipolishtim. Okay, and I will exact vengeance, Nikam, the simple read over here is, Vinakma Nikam Achas, I will exact vengeance, Nikam Achas, one last time, one last vengeance, Mishte Enai, because of my two eyes from the Polishtim. Right, that's the simple way to read it. I don't know how they translate over there, but the way Chazal understand it is I will exact vengeance of one of my eyes yeah, from the Polishtim for one of my two eyes. Mm-hmm. Right, so what is, so this is only, the only way to understand this is something more mystical, but he's saying that only I allow me to exact vengeance for one of my eyes, the other eye, I will receive my reward in the world to come. I don't know exactly what that means, um, but it is interesting that he thinks he's going to have merit for one of his eyes in the world to come. Right, kind of goes back to if he's losing his eyes because of some sinfulness, it goes... Okay, we'll leave it at that. But basically, the simple read is simply saying that he is going to exact vengeance one last time because of his two eyes. So he embraces these two pillars. Okay, Shimshon is clearly a large individual already. Right? So he doesn't puts all of his weight on it. One in his right, one in his left. And Shimshon says, Tamos nafshim polishtim, let let me die with the polishtim. Vayet bechoach, and he pushes with strength. Vayipal habayis al astrenim akala amashabo, and the house falls with the princes, with the entire nation. Vayu hamisim ashahimis bemoso, rabim asher hamis bechayav, and those who die um, there are much more than he killed in his life. What is interesting is that every time he used the strength before, what did we always see? The Torah says. How God is involved, right? It's interesting that although we assume because he just davened, and presumably there was divine help, it was a different type of help, right? It's not as explicit as it was in the previous times. There's something a little bit more hidden. He's not no longer worthy, it would seem, of that same level of divine intervention. Obviously, there's something miraculous about him pulling the whole house down, but God does not associate himself, at least explicitly, with what he's doing over here. Okay. Um, His brothers... Do we know he has brothers? We don't know he has brothers. He's back um, in. Uh, he's back in, right? Interesting, right? So interesting enough, right? And this is almost, you know, uh, exactly that. It's almost glaring, right? He doesn't have family his whole life. We don't even know, again, clearly they weren't born before him because his mother was barren. But um, assuming brothers is to be taken literally, um, they're born afterward. But we don't hear of the family. There is no family. He's all alone after death. Then there is, the, you know, then the family steps in, but almost reminding us how there was no family all along. So again, he doesn't have a location. He's buried between two places, right? Because again, perhaps representing the sense of a lack of stability, a lack of a place. 
the kever Manoach Aviv in the place in the place where his father was buried, Rushafat es Yisrael, Esrim Shan, and he judged the Jewish people 20 years, right? So it's interesting. We already know that he did that before, and it's almost so strange that it's over here that Chazal actually argue that, the tw- that this 20 years is actually telling us that because of what he did, the shadow of Shimshon lasted for 20 years, and it was as if he ruled over them in the sense that he protected them for 20 years after. But 20 years after, the Polishtim were afraid to touch the Jewish people because of what happened with Shimshon. But didn't, but, like, didn't if he was the Shope at the time, why didn't they attack the Polishtim at that time? Just to annihilate them. Who? The Jewish people? Yeah. With Shimshon? No, once he died, like, why didn't they take revenge? Like, all oh, these people killed him, let's go. Well, either A, they don't have the power, or B, they don't have the courage. These 3,000 people just, like, they're big, tough people just died. Yeah, right. Like, speaks, speak, to, speak, uh, right. It's a great point. And it just further speaks to what we're about to just review and jump. Let's just see. We're going to do a major review of just about Shimshon. Just give an overview of Shimshon. But, but exactly that. The people are not where they need to be. And it's only getting worse. I mean, the next two episodes are off the, off the charts. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This would be a perfect time for the Jewish people to really, once and for all, throw off the yoke of the Polishtim. Radio silence. There's nothing. There's nothing. Right? So let's take a step back, because I, I think we're going to want to come back to that exact point, right? Let's just talk about what we saw Shimshon from the beginning to end. Complicated figure, to say the least. Um, so we'll just start the, perhaps the two different, two generally speaking, two different approaches. One, we could just look at this entire story, as some do, as just like uh, the Incredible Hulk. It's basically some intense dude um, who is a little bit of a bumbling person, um, and he does a lot of things, very strange things, wild things. It, it doesn't seem, I, I don't think you could read the text seriously, um, earnestly, and, and see that there. There are too many times where there's too much Hashem involvement. Uh, him becoming a shofate is just too much. You could, perhaps if you'd have alternative text, maybe, but the way it's depicted, and if you take the text literally, it's very hard to take that approach. Again, all those weird things cannot be ignored, but the, the Hashem's association with him, and the fact that also there's nowhere in the text that he's taken to task, right? It's interesting, right? Typically, you have someone doing something wrong. Certainly in biblical times, there's the immediate punishment, immediate reprimand, you know, message from the Nafi, none of that, right? So the, the, the entire picture you get, if you read it critically, is it's, it's not that bumbling fool. It's not this bad, boorish person. There's something much more positive. And that leads us to the, perhaps the most classical approach, and that is that recognizing the Jewish people are either A, too weak, or not courageous enough to fight against the Polishtim right now. He recognized the only way that he's going to fight against the Polishtim is by pretending there's a personal vendetta. In doing so, he's able to fight against the Polishtim without endangering the Jews. Okay, just let's, let's take one further step backwards. We spoke about his Nazirus. We'll come back to that point in a moment. We spoke about his Nazirus, and we spoke about how it, it relates to his um, personality, right? There is this, he has this very unique personality, this intense personality from day one, this intensity, which Nazirus very much represents intensity. It represents a moment typically we accept upon ourselves in a zeros, in theory, and after a moment of in, uh, you know, inspiration of some strong feeling, we want to make that concrete, so we go ahead and we accept in zeros upon ourselves. Um, this is very much part of his personality. The other part of his personality is that he is a completely isolated person. Right From the first day, remember the first, when his first act of strength, who does he tell? It tells us a number of times he never told his parents. Right, He constantly is living his life on his own. He's not just different. Right? Um, he's not just unique, but he is apart, right? He doesn't have any connection with anyone else, which is, on the one hand, a strategy that he uses 
but it also is an appropriate strategy because he truly is a person who is alone. He is truly a lonely person, and therefore it fits. It's not like he is pushing himself to do these strange, lonely things. He is a lonely individual. He's someone who's completely, completely alone. Even if we take this positive approach, which again, many do, there seems to be the breaking point. That was what we saw last week when he goes into um, Aza. Well, sorry. Yes. Uh, no. He goes into, I'm blanking on the name of the city now. Was it Aza? Sorry? Was it? Blanking. Where the, where the zona was? There's Aza? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So he goes into Aza. Um, at that point, right up until the point that he's a chauffeur, up until the point that he has an official role, all of that makes sense. The second he takes on an fe- official role, he can no longer claim it's a personal vendetta, and anything he does has to be seen either as representative of the people, but it's not. And what we understood in that passage that essentially that's a breaking point of Shimshon. On the one hand, he's taking the gates of the city and telling Yehuda, it's your job. Someone else is supposed to be leading the Jewish people. It's not me. And whether Ailey is playing a role there as well, could be. But essentially, Shimshon is saying, I, don't, I, I can't do this anymore. And imagine, again, he is this leader who on the one hand, is, let's, let's assume he's a shofet as Chazal Siyam, as a shofet who's really leading the people in some way, but he doesn't connect them. He doesn't feel connected to them. right? Because that point, like, was like, okay, let's go destroy. But again, it's not just show, a shofet is not just, a, you're absolutely, he never wages any wars. Right. A shofet, to be a shofet. Before this death, that people have followed judges. Correct. But a shofet has a secondary role, which we have to assume, if we, again, if we take the text seriously, that people turn to him to be a judge. People are turning to him, but he doesn't feel that connection. And he feels like, this is not my role. He throws it off to Yehuda, but in the process, he's also basically watch him start to tumble down. He basically goes after his eyes, whichever you want to understand it, with the zona, which we had no justification for in that story. He could easily have gone into Aza, taken the gates, and made the same demonstration that he had to do, but instead he does something else, um, and we just one more point, which we, we touched upon as we went along, and that is the connection to Yehuda. We pointed out that Shimshon is a quasi-Messianic figure. There's a lot of allusions to the base of Migdash, his connection to Yehuda. He sees himself as being connected to Yehuda in some way, leading forward. Right? He starts the fight against the Blishtim. Who finishes that fight? It's ultimately David Amel who finishes that fight. So there is something almost like a Mashiach ben Yosef type figure, like a very physical warrior who doesn't make it, but paves the way for the next one. Shimshon is very much that type of figure who is paving the way for the next warriors to come along and complete the battle, which is ultimately Balfour's base Yehuda, which was his hope, it seems, on some level, to get them uh, to do so. Um, right? Yeah, yes, sir. Se- seemingly, through most of the story, though, he's a leader of no one other than himself. I mean, in that nobody seems to really be following him, and he's not asking them to follow him. So... Yes, absolutely. Most right, we never see him interacting except for that passage in the middle where he is the show fates. And again, if we take that literally, then there is some connection. But you're right. There's but there's so much silence about it. We don't know what that connection. Was. And clearly, it wasn't good for him. Clearly, it wasn't a deep connection with him. But but you're right. He's he's a leader of, of without a people and so a leader of one in some way. Yes. Um, right. And then the last passage, what we see in that last passage is ultimately him slipping away and seemingly really throwing in the towel, that there is a sense of not really wanting to go further. And the, the imagery that really captures that is the sense of um, him lying in the, laying in the, in the, on the lap of his wife, ready to share all of his secrets, divulge everything he has, because he essentially has given up. Okay, and so all of this, but then we think about in part of the broader narratives of Shoftim. Shoftim is a very tragic book from beginning to end, and more or less everyone sees it as a commentary of the pathetic state of the Jewish people during this time, and in some ways an explanation for why the book of Shmuel is so significant, how everything changes under Shmuel. Right? The author of Shoftim is 
Shmuel, right? And everything is going to change for the positive under Shmuel. But this is really the last of the stories of the Shoftim. The next two narratives are leaderless. Okay, they're just going to be about the people when there's absolutely no one, or at least no one mentioned, who's in charge. Um, so what this really is like the, the, the lowest level of them not having good leadership, right? This is, uh, we've had leaders who've come, leaders who've gone, who've gone uh, but the, the, true, the person who is a shofet over here, like you said, he's a shofet, but he's not connected to any people. In the next pastor, we're going to see the people don't have a shofet. In the past before, there's a shofet, but there are no people. Like, there is no relationship between them, and this is the final sad chapter of failed leadership, failed leadership of the shoftim, which, again, paves the way for the next chapters, which are anarchy, eventually leading its way into Shmuel. So essentially, Shoftim is honestly one of the saddest books in Tanakh, and this is meant to be a sad story. It's meant to be the most tragic of tales and pathetic of tales. Shimshon, while there's a lot of promise, ultimately stumbles, and that last burst of energy toward to try to get to the finish line ultimately is unsuccessful. Bigger picture, it does pave the way, it does help in some way, but in truth, it is something which is, a, it's, a, it's just a very sad, complicated, but I don't think so complicated, just a very sad, tragic story of failed leadership. That's Shimshon, I think. I don't know. So we were reading um, Aiden Steinsaltz, mm-hmm. biblical images mm-hmm. on, on Shimshon, mm-hmm. and he describes him as an adolescent ruffian. Oh, so that was kind of funny. Like mm-hmm. from start to finish, that's how it's And that, that is the, it's that is the, funny. it's interesting. And that is the, the way you hear yeah. out there. And I, I don't know. Meaning, you know, I'm certainly, certainly not the approach of, certainly not the approach of our stages. And I understand where they're coming from. That they're, at least initially, there seems to be a lot of reason, a lot of thoughts. But yes, that, that unbridled passion and energy certainly matches with what we normally associate with a right. young person. Interesting. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't connect with people. Right. I mean, the la- he connects he with the last wife, but I mean, that was a failure. No, he, <laughs> he thought realize, he, does, he doesn't realize, realize he wants to Yeah, kill. that's fair. That's fair. No, but he, well, he's not a sociopath. Because he, he doesn't, you know, sociopath lacks empathy, you know, takes advantage of other people. He doesn't really take advantage mm-hmm. of other people. But he doesn't know how to connect with other people interesting. at all. Interesting. Very interesting. And then all of a sudden, when he's given responsibility, you take. You know what I mean? Like he's overwhelmed. Interesting. Okay. It's not his fault. He was born into it. I mean, he was. And he was born into it. And I'm sure there's some family of origin when you know he has these parents who <laughs> right. I don't know how old they are, or whatever it is, and not necessarily getting. A, and with their own interesting family dynamics, you know, I don't. I mean, I don't know if that would impact, but but certainly, certainly some social cues would be lost in 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 that. Right. I mean, it doesn't help. Doesn't so, help. So, 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 he did, so he certainly didn't have the early intervention. Right. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like he really seems, just seems cool. Interesting. Interesting.